Welcome to episode four of the Passionate Purpose Podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their words. Today, I'll be speaking with a man I've known professionally since 2000. Al Hesselbart has done a lot of things in his life. He was a police officer, Boy Scout camp director, salesman, historian, and museum manager. But he was in his 70s before Al followed his heart to become a country music performer. He enjoyed law enforcement, but his new wife was more than a little concerned about Al's safety in the tumultuous society of the 1960s that had already seen multiple assassinations and riots. Because Al had supported his way through college by working summers at a Boy Scout camp, when he ended his stint as a police officer, Al joined the Boy Scouts of America and ran their Michigan summer camps for the next 13 years. However, the recession of 1980 forced the Boy Scouts to downsize more than 1,200 staff members around the country, including Al. He soon found himself unemployed with three children to care for. So he tried selling imported automobiles. But working nights and weekends caused a lot of stress in his marriage, and eventually his wife left, leaving Al to raise their three kids by himself. A short time later, the dealership changed management, and he found himself looking for work again. Al was 52 years old when he stumbled upon a job in Elkhart, Indiana, working as a museum curator for the Recreation Vehicle Manufactured Housing Hall of Fame. It was a job he held for two decades. However, after retiring from that job in his 70s, that's when Al's life went on a rather unique direction when he became a country music performer playing in retirement communities in Florida. To tell us more about his life from 50 to 70, and especially how he's continuing to remain active and purposeful at a time when many people are content to stay home and watch television, please welcome Al Hesselbart to the show. Thank you for joining me today, Al. I really appreciate the time. Tell me a little bit about you and where you are and what you've done. I have had a very varied life, having been a police officer, a Boy Scout camp director, a salesman, a, and then a museum manager and historian, and I'm now involved in country music performance. Oh my goodness. And you've done all of this and since you were 50, or you, this is throughout your life? No, no. I, I started out, as, I graduated from Michigan State University in the early 60s, and not wanting to go to Vietnam, I became a police officer. And then uh, as a police officer, I became a faculty member in a police academy. And where was this? Uh, Lansing area. Okay. Lansing, Michigan area. And you, you served and as a police officer for how long? Six years. What made you give it up? And I gave it up, number one, as I got married, my wife objected to some of the things that were going on regarding the riots related to Bobby Kennedy, Kent State, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, all of that happened during my tenure as a cop. She got tired of me coming home, having been victimized by what was then a threat of being bombarded by water balloons full of urine. At that time, because while in college, I had worked summers for Boy Scout camps, I got invited to join the staff of the Boy Scouts of America and run camps for them. 
Well, it didn't take a whole lot of thinking to say it beats the hell out of getting shot at and stuff thrown at all the time. So I went from police officer to youth worker and ran camps for the Boy Scouts for 13 years. Was that also in Michigan? That was in Michigan and Illinois, in Joliet, Illinois area. I ran a couple of years. Some of my fondest memories were involved in a Boy Scout camp up in Wisconsin every summer for okay. many well, years. Well, I actually, while I was in Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, I ran a camp in Chicago or in central Wisconsin, just outside of Portage for a while. What was that called? Well, it was called... Try to get Leland, Leland, what? Leland somebody okay. reservation. This wealthy Chicagoite had donated the camp. And so it carried his name. It was the camp for all the scouts in DuPage County, suburban Chicago. Ah, then it was up in Wisconsin. That makes sense. It was up in Wisconsin. And so I went from, from that. And then I was caught, was one of about 1,200 Boy Scouts of America staff members that got caught in a downsizing thing around 1980. Okay. And so I found myself unemployed with three kids who had a bad habit three times a day and wanting to get fed. And I ended up uh, getting a, it was not 80, 80, 81, 82 was not a good time to find employment. And I ended up finding a full commission job selling automobiles. Okay. Also in Michigan? So now I've went from law enforcement to camp operation to selling imported automobiles. (laughs) The dealership changed hands. I went into a different sales job, lost that job, and ended up at the RVMH Hall of Fame. And you did that for a number of years. You did that for a number of years, didn't you? I that I was there for twenty years. Actually, I I was retired on the twentieth anniversary of my joining, so oh. I was there for precisely twenty years. <laughs> okay, what did you like about that job? That was by far the most favorite time of my life. I got real interested in history and the history of the industry that you and I both enjoyed working in. And then I became inadvertently, I sure didn't fight for it, but became somewhat world famous and ended up writing for magazines around the world and twice going to address RV events in China. Very good. Yeah. You... But that was all post 50. The My my move into the museum happened at 52, and 20 years later, at 72, I retired. So you found your sense of purpose through that museum, and it provided yeah, you... In a, in a field that I had never put in my bucket list for any <laughs> reason whatsoever, but it didn't take long to fall in love with the concept. It is a fun industry to be involved in. And a lot of people are involved in it and benefit from it. So what? Yeah, co- yeah. a lot of us have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And during that time, just before I le- went to the museum, actually, 
my wife decided she didn't want to be a wife and mother anymore and left me with three kids to maintain. And that was part of my search to leave the retail car sales and working days and evenings and everything else was to be able to take care of three kids Mm -hmm. as dad and mom. So then at what point did you decide to, you, you retired, but then you picked up something else that you're really passionate about today? Again, a freak occurrence. I decided after living my 70-odd years in Michigan and northern Indiana that I had seen all of the snow I ever wanted (laughs) to deal with. And so you went west from Wisconsin, as I remember, and I went south to Florida, found an absolutely enjoyable RV campground, and started a retired life in Florida, in in central Florida, in an area that is absolutely overwhelmed with music, with country music. Okay. In Sumter County, where I live, before COVID busted our lifestyles up, there were 25 or 26 country music jam sessions each and every week. Wow. Three and four choices per day of what music group you wanted to go hear. 25 different and, tr- bands were playing every day? Uh, no, 25 different jams during the week. Oh, okay, got it. Three or four, three or four bands every day. Okay. So did you start a band? And or I thing? started because I was single and retired and didn't want to be bored. I started going to one a day. Okay. And because of my background, especially in church and church choirs, found that I knew probably 60 or 70% of the songs that were being performed at the jams. And And some of the musicians noted that I was at least mouth singing (laughs) along with their jams. And after a couple of years, I was advised that I was no longer welcome to sit in the audience. If I knew these songs well enough to mouse sing them and could have a piece of paper in front of me, I was now officially a part of the band. <laughs> I used the excuse that because of some situations with my throat and my diaphragm and stuff, I, I don't sing especially well. And a neighbor lady from the same RV park that I was living in looked me straight in the eye, and she says, do you read the Bible? I said, yes. She says, you do know the Bible says make a joyful noise, says nothing (laughs) about quality. And with that excuse, I got drafted into performing was finally convinced I had to go out and find an instrument so I could look like a musician. Bought a very unusual guitar, and I'm trying to learn how to play it, but I'm playing with some professional musicians who cover me up real well. (laughs) And now, for a while, I ran a Sunday afternoon all-gospel music jam that was pretty popular, and then things happened, and musicians went the other way, and that ended and now i'm doing tomorrow afternoon at one o'clock if you want to come to bushnell florida you can come to the jam that i run okay is this still gospel but music? i'm now involved in acoustic 
no wires, no microphones, just a bunch of people sitting in a circle and playing and singing songs. And it's more enjoyable than I ever imagined. Why is that more enjoyable than a traditional like jam session? Traditional jams where at least half of the instruments are amplified, electric guitars, electric instruments. There's something in the nature of some of these performers that mine's bigger than yours and I can make more noise than you can. Okay. And some, when you get, I, I one of the groups that I really liked, the players were all friends, but it ended up with nine amps out of 15 players sitting around the front of the room. That would rock the house. Well, it became a wall of noise. Uh, because there were two or three members who had to be the loudest. Okay. And so I went opposite the other way, which is a popular way among some of the electricians, mm-hmm. into all acoustic. No mics, no amplifiers, no nothing, just real acoustic instrument. And I just enjoy the living daylights out of it. And it beats the heck out of setting in my old motor home playing solitaire all day. I would agree with that. So you get out, and how often a week do you do these kind of jam sessions? Now, as we recover from the COVID shutdown, I'm doing about three times a week. Okay. Now, Two years ago, I was doing seven or eight times a week. Wow. That'll get you out of the it house. Was my Thursdays for probably three years were tied up that our local park had a jam at two o'clock on Thursday afternoons, every Thursday. And there was a friend and I who liked another jam. His wife was also a musician, but one a day was enough for her. So as soon as we got done with our two o'clock jam, we threw our instruments in my car, drove across the county, stopped at a subway for supper, and went to a six o'clock jam (laughs) and played until eight. Okay. And then, unfortunately, he had a stroke, which pretty much incapacitated him. And then recently, he's had another stroke, which sent him home. But, uh, yeah, that was... It was kind of a joke to the musicians there. Well, Al and Bill can't help clean up. They got to go play some more. Did you say that you were always singing as part of a church choir for many years? I spent 30 years in a Methodist church choir, yes. Okay. So- it, was a, a, it was in Owasso, Michigan. The Methodist church in Owasso, Michigan was a large church and had... During my years in high school, we had a high school choir as well as the adult choir. The church ran two services a day or on Sunday, and the 8 o'clock service, the choir was all high school kids. We'd have 12 or twelve or 13 or 15 of us in an all-high school choir that did services every Sunday. You were and that's where I started, and then... After college, came home and graduated into the adult choir until I got involved with other things and left town. In order to start this country jam session or gospel jam session down in Florida, did you have to learn to play an instrument as well, or is that something you always knew? 
it's something I don't yet know. I have a Martin Backpacker's guitar, which is a one-third size guitar. It has a neck the size of a normal guitar and a body about a third the size of a normal guitar. It's called a Backpacker or Ultralight. It's uh, totally different. And because my uncle Arthur, Arthur Itis, has joined my left hand, I'm not able to finger <laughs> standard guitar chords, so I tuned it like a dobro and play it with a steel bar instead of my finger. I pretend to play her. Let's qualify this. I'm a finger watcher. I don't know what I'm doing unless I can watch somebody's fingers on their guitar. So it sounds like uh, maybe the guy running the soundboard turns the the sound down on your, your guitar, but turns your voice up so that you're singing. But makes well, you... see, I'm, I'm doing jams with no mics. I, I control oh, that's the right. volume. Okay, you control if, the volume. If I play my guitar with a pick, it is equal in volume to the other guitars, and I'm a full-fledged part of the band. If I am, as usual, reticent about playing that loud, and I can just thumb strum the notes. It cuts the volume in half, and nobody hears me make mistakes. It looks like I'm part of the band to the observers. So you had to learn this new instrument at the age yes, of 70. and I've had a couple of professionals coach me well, because I, I never had any experience. I, you know, how many people will go out at, 75 years old and buy their first instrument and pretend to learn how to play it exactly exactly so you found a coach that's good good start and yes yes okay La lady that runs a local music store and i have been friends actually she knew me when i was at the museum she had she and her husband were summer rvers and they had visited the museum a couple times and we're surprised to cross each other down here in the music world. So she she took me aside and taught me the very basics of this instrument. Very good. And so you're still use, doing that today? Still active, doing it uh, two or three times a week. You said earlier that this beats the heck out of sitting at home playing solitaire on your computer. And yes, I think that's probably something that a lot of people realize that you know it's just boring and they wonder there's got to be more to life than this sitting at home playing solitaire on your computer and you stepped out and said i'm going to make something happen i i think that's a really good deal well the beyond that the park i'm living in is a singles rv park they don't allow married couples oh okay it is all singles so it is while not an extremely friendly park, it is a very social park. There is some sign-up activity to do at least once every single day. We have the, and it's a 55 and older park, so the 55 to 65 crowd goes on hikes and backpacks and all kinds of things. Well, at 80, you don't do those things, or I don't anyway. Mm-hmm. But they also go bicycling. They've got 15 or 16 kayaks who go kayaking on local streams and lakes. It's just a real active park to do something with. And I have a friend here 
who owns more than one, I think three, but I'm not sure, electric bicycles. So where the real bicyclists want to go on a bike trip, three or four or five of us will go on our bike trip on an electric bike, which you only have to pedal once in a while. The rest of the time, you just use your thumb and travel down the path. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice. So it's getting you out as out in Get nature out and around. things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, during most of my post-police life, I've been an avid fisherman. I have a bass boat. I was a tournament fisherman for many, many years, fished bass tournaments throughout the Midwest. Well, I've got so distracted with Florida life and the things that are here, even though there's open water and lakes year-round down here, my boat has not been wet in three and a half years. People are telling me I have to put it in a lake at least to wash the bottom off, if not to do something with it. So, yeah, I, ha- I have a very functional bass boat down here that has just taken up space in a storage lot. And are you planning to get back into that at some point? I, I, I have... Now, for the third time, scheduled some time, supposedly, next week, where I was supposed to get it out and tune it up and charge batteries and see if the motor will still run. And, you know, it's a two-day project just to see if it's still a real boat. <laughs> You're not going to be taking it out on the ocean, then, anytime soon. Not, no, not, <laughs> not out of sight of shore. <laughs> okay. Very good. But I'm, I'm in a center of lakes all the way around me uh there are several lakes within an hour or an hour and a half drive where the pro bassmasters hold tournament i'm in the heart of their florida area and so there's plenty of opportunities to teach this boat to swim again if somebody just get off his dead <laughs> butt and do it okay so you're going to play music and ba- uh, bass fishing and you're 80 years old Yes. That's incredible. Now, that's somebody who's embracing uh, life to the fullest, I think. Yeah. I sent a photo to my RN daughter of me on the bicycle showing her that in spite of her worst fears, I'm not just sitting here waiting to die, Mm -hmm. which there are people here that are doing that. They pull in here in an RV back into a site, plug in the power and water, and never come out. They live as hermits, just waiting to die. That's... And there are people in all walks of life who do that. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, ben, wasn't but, it Ben Franklin who once said that, you know, many people die at 30 and just wait until 70, till their body catches up to them? I like that thought, but I think maybe he did. I don't. I'm not familiar with that. So, yeah, that's a tragedy for people to to just get to a certain point and feel that they're being pushed away or out and to the sidelines and accepting that and internalizing that and saying that they have no value, nothing to offer. And you step forward and say, well, at least I can sing a little bit and try to learn the guitar. I can sing songs. I can get involved in my church. I can put my boat in the water. I can jump. I actually, for exercise, I routinely, with my real bicycle, I habitually ride for exercise 
in the evening and I do three or four miles on a bicycle three or four nights a week. My, on a real bike? On a real bike, on a pedal bike. Okay. Well, do you know, you... What p- people don't realize, uh, there are very expensive electric bicycles, but there's also a couple popular conversion kits where they have put an electric motor inside the spokes of a front wheel for a bicycle, and you can buy this front wheel and replace a front wheel in a regular standard bicycle, ride the same bike you've been riding for the last 10 years, electric powered. So those, as we age and we can't make things work as well as we want to, especially knees and hips and things like that, there are ways for you to take there advantage of technology. There are ways to enjoy the lifestyle without the exercise. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned your daughter does do your kids and the rest of your family support what you're doing now? They pretty much do. Uh, I have three children that I mentioned earlier. I raised pretty much as a senior single dad, but my daughter is an RN uh, in a hospital just outside Fort Wayne, Indiana, and my two sons, the older two of my three are both involved in the RV industry. So they they both followed Dad into the RV industry, both having had previous careers. Mm-hmm. Are they over 50 themselves? Not quite. Okay. Very good. Not quite. They get, my oldest has a couple years to go. All right. <laughs> so do you have any regrets about these things that you've been doing? Or if you had to start over again, would you do something differently? Parts of the police job were very rewarding. Part of the police job came to times that you really didn't want to go to work, but had to to get the paycheck. The Boy Scout work and working with youth and this kind of stuff, I really enjoyed. But as things got bad in the late 70s and early 80s, I did appreciate a paycheck. Right. So that job I got downsized out of. Mm Mm-hmm. The short-term sales job was just a way to pay for the bill. It did. I My kids never went hungry. I never lost my home or anything else. So I accomplished that, but they weren't exciting and thrilling. Then as my house emptied, as the kids graduated and went on their way, and I was empty-nested, I got involved more and more and more with the RV Hall of Fame and RV Museum and somehow got myself famous. Now, there was a time that I was doing probably 18 to 20 RV shows and rallies a year, you know, a couple of months, many months of the year. Talking about the history of the RV industry. I was able to develop some slideshows, and so I have done that to audience, audience of thousands of people through the years that I just really enjoyed. I met some great friends, people that still contact yourself for being one of them. I can still remember when you walked in, when you had joined the staff of RV Trade RV Digest. Trade, was yes. it? Yes, yep, that's correct. And you had left another venue and came to the museum and wanted to know what was going on around Elkhart. That kind of relationship just drives people crazy. 
because people come in and want to see my friends list on Facebook. And I've got people from every career I've had that I still call friends. So you're continuing to maintain those relationships? Yeah. One of my friends is a, was a neighbor as I grew up and went through high school and stuff at Owasso, Michigan, who I still communicate with on a regular basis. And we graduated in 1960. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Now, but, Al, have you published? Yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful life for me. God's been good to me. Now, Al, have you written some books as well? I have written two books, never got rich off of them, right. but I have sold thousands of each of them. They're still available on Amazon. But my first book titled The Dumb Thing Sold Just Like That, which the title is a quote from one of the pioneers who started up, helped to start the RV industry in the depths of the Depression. And his explanation in a little poem that he wrote of how did he do it at that time was I built something for the family to use and the dumb thing sold just like that, <laughs> which is how my, many of the early RV companies got started. Mm -hmm. Somebody built one, somebody else liked it and said, build me one. And time the third one said, they said, I can make a living doing this. And that's how a lot of the early companies got started. And so that's, that was my first and has been fairly successful. The second one written by invitation to a publisher is called RV Capital of the World. And it starts the history of the industry in Indiana, basically, and shows how from the first companies around World War I time, the, ind the industry grew and gathered around Elkhart. Mm -hmm. And how Elkhart became identified by the 1950s as the RV capital of the world. So two books still available on Amazon. I'll be sure to link to that. Still available, one, both on Kindle or in print. Al, how would you define retirement? As we discussed earlier, it sure as heck isn't just sitting around and waiting to die. Mm -hmm. It's getting a whole bunch of new things to relax and enjoy and I wasn't sure I made the right decision when I determined to sell everything I had up in Indiana and Michigan and to come to Florida that I wasn't sure I was going to like and found a, a whole new lifestyle, but still a very enjoyable way to live if you allow yourself to do it. I, I'm very happy with my decision. Very good. What advice would you give to people over the age of 50 to either help them identify or pursue their passions? Well, that's that's just exactly it. If there's something that you know, and I didn't even know it existed, that you want to do, they're not going to come looking for you. You got to just decide to do it. You know, mm -hmm. when, I, when I joined the staff of the museum, I had never been a museum manager, didn't know anything about managing museums. It was never on my bucket list, but five years later, I'm traveling the country and the world telling stories about the RV industry and the RV lifestyle that just was the most pleasurable time of my entire wage-earning career. That's great. Mm -hmm. So you, you think people should 
go out and pursue these things and keep looking for them? Is that what you're suggesting? Is that some of the things that, they might not even... That's what I'm saying. Don't, don't put yourself in a box and just say, because I'm a carpenter, I'm always going to be a carpenter, and there's nothing else out there. There's something. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's an opportunity. But my, my two most enjoyable lives were the two functions I've had since 50. And that's the RV Hall of Fame, working at the RV that's Hall of Fame? the RV Hall of Fame and RV history and just deciding to be active. I could have sat in the museum and just dusted old units and <laughs> yeah. been very happy, or I could start studying history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably read a hundred books out of the library of the museum when some of the publications says, hey, can you write something? Dan Holt at RV News was the one who set me off on the publicizing the history of our industry. I've heard people say that if you read five books on any topic, you become an expert in that topic. Well, I, I, I fear to use the term expert, although it's used about many of us, but you do understand the definition of an expert, I'm quite sure. Anybody from out of town? No. Oh. <laughs> an ex is a has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. I don't want to be a has-been anything. I, I just enjoy what I've got left, and I am fully knowledgeable, having lost many friends younger than me, that life is a terminal disease, just don't let it take you before you're ready. (laughs) That's a great point. Well, Al, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate all the stories and your discussion on passion and how things just sort of not only opened up for you, but that you actually actively pursued them to continue pushing forward, to always have something to live for, always have a reason to get up in the morning. I think that's truly inspiring to a lot of people. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and it's good to relive some of the old times that we lived in the same world. I really appreciate Al Hesselbart for sharing his story with us today. He's one of the most consistently jovial men I have ever met. He has a great sense of humor, and he loves to tell stories. I could certainly relate to Al's desire to escape the cold weather in the Midwest to head to a warmer climate. The most profound thing Al described during the interview was how many people moved to Florida to retire and just seemed to wait to die. He said they pull in here with their RV, back into a site, plug it into water and power, but never come outside. It's sad to watch. There are people from all walks of life who live like hermits just waiting to die. That is sad indeed. Being a true people person, Al was not content to stay home, watching television, and simply looking forward to his next meal. So he started attending music concerts where performers played his favorite songs. Soon, he attracted the attention of a band who invited him to perform with them. He even learned how to play an acoustic guitar so he could strum a few notes while he was singing. Al said he enjoyed the living daylights out of playing acoustic music, and he noted it beats the heck out of sitting in his motorhome all day playing solitaire. He also tapped into decades of research he had conducted about the recreation vehicle industry and used it to write two books. 
I loved Al's perspective when he said, don't put yourself in a box and say, because I'm a carpenter, I'm always going to be a carpenter because there's nothing else out there. Maybe it's a hobby or a job opportunity, but the two most enjoyable things I've done in my life are things I started after turning 50. Al said he could have just sat in the museum and dusted old books and RVs, or he could have learned something new by studying about the history of the RV and manufactured housing industries. He didn't want to be a has-been in anything, because he had already lost many friends who were younger than he was, and Al noted that life is a terminal disease and people should not let it take them before they're ready to go. That's solid advice, and Al is a poster child for people with purpose after 70. You can connect with Al Hesselbart, H-E-S-S-E-L-B-A-R-T, on Facebook. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or get help in planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. That's all for this week's show. Next week, I'll be interviewing a woman who has changed the lives of thousands of other women by simply encouraging them to go camping. In fact, she started an international movement to help women of all ages become girl campers. It will be an inspiring interview for sure. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Passionate Purpose Podcast.